we had, as usual, mercifully, a very good conference. We started off remembering Cardinal Cormac, who looked after us for all those years, and had he been alive, he would have been with us, and we would have celebrated in great style his 40th anniversaries mm -hmm. as a bishop. We prayed for him. We also prayed for the people of Zimbabwe, South Sudan and the Middle East, where the bishops of England and Wales continue to offer their support and solidarity through pastoral visits in support of the local church. It wasn't clear when, when it was announced, I think, well, I can't remember whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday, that there had been, well, it, what had happened exactly in Zimbabwe. But we have got now, and you'll be able to have a copy of this afterwards, a statement from the Zimbabwean bishops. Um, I have a great fondness for Zimbabwe. I visited in 1993, which begins to show how old I am. Um, because we had some of our sisters out there, the FMDMs, and, we, and, and it, it was getting tense in those days, and there were some pretty difficult characters uh, on both sides of the argument. But what the Zimbabwean, I, I'm not going to go through all that now, because you can read it for yourselves afterwards. They have called for prayer for the nation, and that's not just within the nation, but we'll be praying for them, hopefully uh, on Sunday. A call to calm and peace, because it's quite a tense situation at the moment. Call for the respect of human dignity and for a transitional government of national unity and that to be followed by a national dialogue. So we must um, do what we can to support them through our prayer in these coming days and weeks. As always, we discussed and discerned the way forward for the Church's mission and witness in this country. And in addition to updates <coughs> on the activities of the Bishops' Conference through its various departments, we had a fascinating presentation by Father Hugh Allen, who has got the longest ecclesiastical title in the world, I think. It's Apostolic Administrator of the Falkland Islands and the Mission to the South Atlantic Sui Juris. But it was quite fascinating. It was pictures, largely of the, um, the South Atlantic, that's the Falklands, the Ascension Islands, St. St. Helena and Tristan da Cunha. And we discovered it took six, was it six days on a fishing boat to get from one island to t'other. The only one that's got a, an airport is the Falklands. But um, I mean, it, was, it was just simply incredibly interesting. <laughs> there were very few people there. But, um, you know, there are now some priests out there for the first time in a long time. So that's another thing we should pray for. Looking ahead to next year, we looked at two major events in the church's life for next year, which will be the Synod on Young People uh, next autumn and the National Eucharistic Congress and Pilgrimage in our own countries, England and Wales, Adoramus in Liverpool. So first of all, I'm going to ask uh, Teresa Cavallo here, who uh, coordinated the consultation. Rome asked us to consult our young people and had a whole list of questions. It's amazing, Teresa managed to get so much in, in the short time. Teresa will briefly outline the recent research which was undertaken in this country and get a better understanding of the hopes and concerns of young people 
in England and Wales, and all that will be sent off to Rome to give them some background for the Synod meeting in October next year. So, Teresa. In October 2018, Pope Francis will gather bishops and others from all around the world to talk about youth, faith, and vocational discernment in the hope that the church will be become better at accompanying young people in their journey of faith and helping them to make good life choices. As a part of that process, we were asked to hear the voices of young people and put them in a report that would be sent over to the Holy See. And we're very glad to say that over 3,000 young people aged between 16 and 29, predominantly Catholic but not only Catholic, responded to, that, um, to the consultation. They had a lot to say and we were very glad to hear it. Thankfully, you won't have to hear all of that now. I'd just like to share with you three key insights. When asked about their lives, it was evident that many young people expressed a struggle with knowing how to deal with a highly pressured and rapidly changing fragmented society. They expressed also the desire to move for the future, to, to reach for a future with hope. Therefore, to accompany them effectively, it's important for us to listen to their experiences and to convey not only what we believe, but why it's good news and how it can be a positive impact on their lives. Young people are asking for the Catholic Church in England and Wales to move towards a monumental change of attitude, orientation and practice. For youth-specific organisations, they're looking for a wide variety of high quality and focused events that help them to see their lives in the light of faith. Whilst at local settings, such as in a parish, their desire is for community and for the community to show an interest, build relationships with them and help them um, help provide opportunities for them to help others. Lastly, when asked how much they wanted the Catholic Church to help them make good life choices, over half of those responded frequently or always. Many young people are interested in vocation when seen in terms of God's call on every, on every person's life and how to make good life choices. By developing a culture of vocation that values God's call on each person's life, it lays a foundation that will give young people the courage to consider the dream that God has for them. Thank you very much, Teresa. Now, there was also some discussion about the recent motu proprio on liturgy. Before that, uh, Father Chris Thomas will just give us a brief outline of the plans for the Eucharistic Congress in Liverpool in September next year. Adoramus, the Eucharistic Congress, is an ecclesial event. What do I mean by that? In between international Eucharistic Congresses, the last one of which took place in 2016 in Cebu in the Philippines, and the next one in Budapest in 2020, local churches are asked to hold their own Eucharistic Congresses. And our response to the call of the Holy Father from Cebu uh, is to hold our Congress in 2018 in Liverpool. And it's hoped that over 10,000 people will join the bishops at Abderamus in adoration, learning and celebration of the Eucharist at the heart of the church. There are three phases of focus for the Congress. 
The first is the preparatory phase which will take place in the diocese where parishes and communities will be asked to focus on adoration as part of their lived Christian experience. Then there'll be the actual celebration of the Congress and the pilgrimage. And we've called it a pilgrimage as well as a Congress because it's a continuation of the work that's already been done in parishes over the preparatory year. And then at the end of the Congress, there will be the sending out into the country of those people who have been present to take with them all of the good experiences that they've had in Liverpool, reinvigorated by that experience to go out and to be commissioned to take the good news of Jesus Christ into the heart of our country. Because Eucharistic Congresses are at the heart of the new evangelization, where we form a deep and personal relationship with the Lord through adoration of him through the Eucharist, through the Blessed Sacrament. It also forms us as a church, as a body of believers, and centers us on Christ as the source and summit of all that we do. So over the three days in Liverpool, there will be a theological symposium where our understanding of the Eucharist will be explored. On the Congress Day, Bishop Robert Barron from Los Angeles will be our keynote speaker, and that day will conclude with adoration of the Eucharist itself. And then on the Sunday, there will be a celebration of the Eucharist with the Congress Masses, and then a procession of the Blessed Sacrament in Liverpool, witnessing to Christ in the city. And so the bishops are wholeheartedly committed to this national event, and through the network of diocesan representatives, ask that people begin even now on that pilgrim journey towards Liverpool 2018, when we will listen to Christ himself in our adoration, learn about the Eucharist through our theological reflections, and act in taking the message of the good news of Jesus out into the world. Thank you, Chris. So there you have it in summary. So there's a lot of work going on in the background, and we've asked for representatives from all our parishes to try and get to Liverpool, although the numbers obviously will be restricted, I think to 10,000, 10, yeah, something like that. Mm. Good. There was also some discussion, as you might imagine, about the recent motu proprio on liturgy, manium principium. And one bishop who should remain lazy he said, I think it's better called manium mysterium. <laughs> Good sense of humour. Uh, so Father Chris will just give a, 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 an important clarification of what that document actually says, because there, a lot of people have taken it amiss, so to speak, and think we can just go and do our own translation. It's not quite. Magnum Principio was uh, published on the 3rd of September 2017, and it allows a greater freedom for bishops' conferences to undertake the work of translating the liturgical texts. One of the most important things that needs to be clarified, though, is that the work of Magnum Principium is not suddenly a rupture in the work that has gone on before in terms of the translation of liturgical texts, but it is complementary to it. So rather than having an imposition, as it were, of textual information from the Vatican, we are able to dialogue with our um, translating community, which is called ISAL, the International Commission on English in the Liturgy, regarding the text as they go forward. And it's the going forward bit which is important. The Congregation for the Discipline of the Sacraments and Divine Worship have, has actually clarified that the, there is no retroactive application of the motu proprio. So we can't go back over texts that have been already translated. So we're looking forward at those liturgical books and those texts which need to be translated going forward 
So there have been a significant amount of information and correspondence received about the 1998 translation of the Missal. Unfortunately, Magnum Principium does not allow us to go back to that translation of the Missal. We have the 2010 translation, which is our um, standard edition now, and we're looking forward to the translation of the new liturgical books as they become available and we are still working with Rome. Rome still has to give recognitio and confirmatio to the um, text that we propose to them. They have to be translated faithfully, and the bishops have very clearly stated their position in the um, resolution which uh, you have before you. Thank you. It's going to upset some people, but there we are. Uh, it's not quite as simple as it <coughs> appeared to be when it was first announced. Now, finally, from my perspective here, I uh, just want to mention two major conferences, both as it happens in Rome, and both of which were concluded with significant interventions by Pope Francis. And these conferences guide our work in two areas. Firstly, uh, Bishop Nicholas Hudson went to the Comissi meeting, that's the um, conferences of each country within the European Union, uh, which has been meeting for many years now, putting the human at the centre of the European project, defending and promoting human dignity in Europe as the Church in Europe. And Nicholas gave us an excellent summary of, of that. So if you'd like to give everyone a share. Gladly, Archbishop Peter. Well, I was delighted to be able to attend the Congress Rethinking Europe organised, as Archbishop Peter says, by Commissy, but also the Holy See as well. And I found it very striking, as we all, 350 of the delegates, we all uh, had the privilege of a handshake with the Holy Father uh, at the end. He said to me, keep the spirit of Europe alive in your country. Keep the spirit of Europe alive in your country. And for me, I knew that he was referring to what was really at the heart of the very inspiring and prophetic speech he'd given us, namely a plea to keep the human at the heart of all your concerns. We were a, delegate, we were a delegation of seven people and we certainly hoped that our presence and participation in the Congress would signal very much that although the United Kingdom may be leaving the European Union, we still remain very much part of the church in Europe. And it was in the same spirit that we'd gone to Brussels a month before, a group of myself and three other bishops, to go and meet members of the European Parliament. When we were there, we were privileged and very pleased to meet Mrs. Mairead McGuinness, the Vice President of the European Parliament and we shared with her a concern about the rights of European prisoners. Our concern was around the EU prisoner transfer agreement which allows EU nationals serving a prison sentence in an EU country to transfer or at least to apply to transfer to their country of origin to serve out their sentence there and our concern was as to whether this had in fact been incorporated into the Brexit negotiations and we were assured that this very significant matter would be pursued. I mention that because I think it's a very striking example of what the Pope was saying in his address to the, to the Congress 
namely that we need to keep the human at the heart of the European project. And he expressed this in terms of building communities which have a concern for the vulnerable, the poor, and those who are discarded by the social and economic systems. For me, a very graphic illustration of what he meant was when halfway through the Congress, all 350 participants were taken down the road to a very inspiring community, the community of Sant'Egidio, where we shared prayer and we shared table. And we were waited on at table by people with severe learning disabilities. I thought there couldn't have been a more graphic expression, really, of what the Pope was saying about reaching out to those who are so often discarded by society. I think that as bishops in England and Wales, we share very much this conviction of the need to keep the human at the heart of all our concerns, defending and promoting human dignity. And we will certainly continue to add our voice to the rest of the church in Europe to call for the human to be retained at the heart of its concerns. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Nick. And finally, Bishop John Sherrington here will say something about a very Im the other very important conference in Rome on promoting child dignity in the digital age. It was um, it drew people together, uh, academics, politicians, tech companies, and the church throughout the world. At our conference, we agreed this resolution and wanted to draw your attention to both the Declaration and the Pope's important text. John, you. First of all, it's really important to recognise the significance of the Holy See convening this Congress on the Child Dignity in the Digital Age. Therefore, it shows that the Holy See is really concerned about the present situation, the way in which there are multiple dangers faced by children in the age of the internet, and the concern, as Bishop Nicholas said, that we are constantly wanting to protect the dignity of the child, and therefore to protect the child and defend the child from anything that is degrading, and the way in which the internet can be used to promote the, or to further the means of the abuse of children, blackmail, and new forms of degrading slavery. So the internet it has a structure that was developed for adults, for free communication. But children, young people use it extensively and therefore there are many dangers which others can exploit. And we've heard very graphically about exploitation through child pornography, through images, through uh, blackmail, through big business using it in particular ways. So it's significant that the Holy See held this conference and I do commend to you the statement of the bishops, the resolution, and also the whole statement that came out from that conference and the way in which the Pope addressed it. So we wanted to acknowledge, as Catholic bishops of England and Wales, the final document of this international congress called the Declaration of Rome. We challenge internet providers to take account of their responsibilities and to invest in measures to limit and control the deeply damaging ways in which the internet is used. So that will be obviously the work of the companies, the work of governments, uh, the work of many different agencies, but the voice of the Catholic Church in this, bringing together experts for this conference, is to promote and defend the dignity of children in the digital age. Thank you very much.